Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. We finally decided that we're going to do a long weekend retreat because everyone's been asking us and we just wanted to find the perfect place. So we did. Yeah. And I think it's nice because there's something about doing a four night, three day retreat that makes it a little bit more accessible to everyone when a full week away can be tough. Totally. And, you know, we really decided to do it this time on just so many of the themes that feel alive in our work with our clients and what the, you know, the conversations we're having in our group work with clients um, around the shift in what's happening right now in the collective. Yeah. And what's happening for women. And I think it's a really unique moment in history that we're living through. You see it in so many of the conversations that are happening with, you know, the success of the Barbie movie, the way we're really challenging these patriarchal structures that we talk about constantly and how much the level of discontent and, mm-hmm. um, knowing that something needs to change within my life, but what does that look like even knowing it, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of times people are coming to us in a therapeutic setting and they're telling us that they're feeling, you know, overwhelmed, resentful, disillusioned with their life, disconnected, right? That they're struggling to really identify kind of what is theirs and what is social programming, that they want something different and bigger from their lives, but they're not really sure, like, how, what does that look like and how do I get there, right? Yeah. So we want to create a long weekend where we're going to give you some of the tangible tools that we have incorporated into our own lives that we're working with and the clients that we work with and really what it looks like to start to embody the rise of the feminine principle that we know this moment in history 
sort of prophesize to be about for all of us, right? Hell yeah. So we're also going to walk away really understanding what it means um, to envision our life with a real authentic sense of clarity, with purpose, with aliveness. We're going to have no apologies here, right? We're going to also break down some of the limiting beliefs and where they come from, right? So we're going to get into the upbringing component. Um, why and where is all of this highly codependent, patriarchal, misogynistic kind of, um, you know, approach to life? Like, why are we carrying this, right? It's really important for us to understand and break that down. Yeah. So we're calling it the return of the sovereign feminine. It's going to be in Malibu, California, at the most beautiful estate, January 18th through 21st. And we're just really excited about this one. It feels really close to our hearts. Yeah. So you can click on either of our bio links on Instagram or social, um, or you can go to my website, vanessabena.com backslash retreats, and you can check out all information there. Well, this was a very lovely conversation. Really like her. As much as my love-hate relationship with social media, sometimes the love part is great. You get somebody who you've just been following for a while and randomly you have them on your podcast and you're like, oh, you are lovely. (laughs) Um, I think this book that our guest that you're about to listen to has coming out is beautiful. Her writing Mm -hmm. is beautiful. Um, It feels very poignant. It feels very like... Uh, a warm hug. <laughs> like her mm. writing just felt warm to me. Uh, very like non-judgmental, very like I could see myself in her story. Um, it was beautiful. <laughs> this book is going to, it's going to do well. I think people are going to really appreciate her and just all of her wisdom. Yeah. There's so many things that she speaks to that I think it's really important to name when we're talking about things that actually impact our mental health, right? Like the the aspect of the othering and the ways that we are experiencing one another relationally that we just don't talk about. And I just, I'm really grateful that she went there with some of these conversations that she writes about in the book, because it's so necessary, you know? Well, and also just like bringing to light the, you know, the topic that you and I, obviously as people in depth psychology talk about all the time, but the topic around like initiations and how Mm -hmm. universal they are and that is uh and how we as a society don't kind of put the emphasis on them as we should and mm-hmm. i love how she talks about them through the lens of being a doula right like ushering people across these these great kind of initiatory experiences as if you were kind of crossing the threshold of labor and delivery is such a beautiful image yeah you know it just came up as you said that i think there's something that is like there are universal experiences of being human mm-hmm. and yet the actual experience of the mess of it, like similar to labor is so big and unknown and terrifying when you're in it, that there's something about having someone guide you in a really mm. loving way through like, you're going to get through this. It's going to be okay. And I love that she does that through these transitional points of life in mm-hmm. a way that is really supportive beyond just like the birthing process, all of these life transitions that we all will inevitably go through, you know? Mm. Now I'm like, if only she could be my life doula. I'm not having another <laughs> child, so she will not be my actual doula, but she could be my life doula anytime <laughs> she does that anymore. <laughs> I know. Um, so y'all about to listen to our interview with Brandy Sellers-Jackson, and she is a storyteller, birth and postpartum doula, and the creator of Not So Private Parts. Initially created as a woman's lifestyle blog, Not So Private Parts has evolved into a resource removing the shame and stigma surrounding women's issues. Sellers Jackson is the co-founder of Moms in Color, 
a black mom collective centered around celebrating diversity in the motherhood space. She is also the senior manager of social media for Ergo Baby, which I did not know, a leading brand in baby wearing and attachment parenting. Brandy Sellers Jackson lives in Pasadena, California, we're neighbors, with her husband, John, their three boys, Jax, Jedi, and Jupiter, and their labradoodle, Chaka. Um, her boys' names are everything. I that know, is all. Everything. Also, her dog's <laughs> name is Chaka. Like, can we talk about this? <laughs> everything. Like, uh, we literally were like, just we hung up. We hung up the conversation, but we're like, we want to have mac and cheese with her. <laughs> Let's figure out a date. She's very cool. If we have mac and cheese with her, don't worry. We'll make sure to uh, let you all know. <laughs> <laughs> the best, the best places in LA for vegan mac and cheese. We will have a follow up a episode. Tour. Yes. <laughs> All right, everybody, enjoy. We are so excited to have you here, Brandy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have to say, when your publicist reached out and I saw your name, I was like, oh. And then I thought, I've been following her for a while. And I actually told Danae, I was like, I wish I remembered. Why? Like somebody must have, you know, you know how the social media thing works. Somebody yeah. posted something, sent me something, and I started following you. And I, I want to say maybe it was back either when I was pregnant or like new mama journey, and that was when I started following you. But oh, wow. um, when she sent me your info, I was like, oh my god, yes, I would love to have her on. Uh, and you have your new book coming out on thriving, harness joy through life's great labors. For those watching on YouTube, that's what it looks like. And um, it comes out when January, January ninth. January 9th. January so 9th. exciting. So exciting. Crazy. So we usually start by asking our guests to kind of take us through like the journey to how you became who you are, right? Because you call yourself a life doula, which I'm obsessed mm -hmm. with. Um, but I want to know kind of how did Brandy become a life doula? Like what was that journey like for you? Mm. Okay. So I started off as a birth and postpartum doula. Um, okay. I had done that for years and then the pandemic happened. And what, you know, during the pandemic, if you remember anyone who had a child during the pandemic, uh, doulas, we kind of weren't able to go into the hospitals for a bit. Um, yeah. and you know, that didn't stop babies from being born and people needing support, mm -hmm. but it also didn't stop, uh, life lifing for people. <laughs> Uh, and so I started getting calls. I remember the first call I got was from a postpartum mom who had just had a baby and their child, they were navigating postpartum NICU stuff, all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't quite sure why they were calling me because, again, we were in the depths of a pandemic. No one was going anywhere. Um and I wasn't quite sure why, but basically the the ask was, can you just talk with her? Mm -hmm. Can you just talk with her and sit with her, like virtually sit with mm -hmm. her? And I was like, sure. Okay. That's like a different like ask that has never, ever happened ever. And so I did. Um, I sat with her. And um, we just kind of navigated um, how to do this postpartum thing, how to navigate after birth when it doesn't um, end up the way that you envisioned it, mm. um, how to deal with all the things after birth, 
But then also just, you know, just as postpartum does and after a baby does, trauma also comes up, things come up, come to the surface. And so we were navigating that. And um, yeah, that's kind of how it started, Mm -hmm. (laughs) where I just began holding space for people. And then if it were a situation where it was like, you know, this looks like it needs a little bit more, you need more than I had plenty of resources, you know, with therapists and all that. And um, yeah, that's kind of how it started. Mm-hmm. And the term life doula actually came from a dear, dear, dear sister friend of mine, Aisha Hasati, who I mentioned in the book, who's an amazing healer, amazing mama. We were talking and joking one day. We were like, wouldn't it be cool if like there was someone to like help you like doula through life? <laughs> because, you know, life lifes. It'd be mm-hmm. life in. And there's things, there's there's transition moments, there's moments of pushing, there's moments of pregnancy that are just so intense. And we all go through this this thing of not really knowing what to do. And so I was like, yeah, you know, she's like, like a life doula. I was like, yeah, like a life doula, right? Like, mm. I need a life doula. You need a life doula. And so it just kind of stuck. But mm. yeah. Yeah. I love that so much. And I love that your sister friend named something that I think we've really lost track of, which is, mm-hmm. you know, I think I'm so introverted. And after having a baby more than any other time in my life, I was like, I need women around me. Like I just felt it like in my body and like such a strong reaction to like, I need sisterhood. I need someone to like usher me into this next phase of life. But I think you're right. We've kind of lost that as a normalized thing that we usher one another through these thresholds of initiation that we don't have any sort of blueprint for what this is supposed to look like. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no blueprint for, for life. Mm. Mm -hmm. It's just not. And we're just out here flailing along mm-hmm. <laughs> in the deep end, <laughs> hoping to like, you know, make it, you know, mm, yeah. to, you know, a little bit of shallow water. And it's, you know, I think we shouldn't do this by ourselves. Mm-hmm. When you, so in the book, you kind of take us through like what you call the four great labors. Can you talk a little bit about I guess like how you came up with that concept too, Mm -hmm. but also just taking us through what those great labors are. Yeah. So in my book, I share how, you know, for my, (laughs) my thought, my uh, experience, um, the four great labors are the things that unite us all. Mm -hmm. So that looks like, you know, I think I start off with um, thriving in the relationship with yourself or thriving in relationship Um, because, you know, we're all figuring out the relationship with ourselves and we're also figuring out the relationships with each other, whether it's romantic, platonic, whatever business, we're always figuring out a relationship with something or someone. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the second one is mental health. Um, And, you know, it's, you know, we've been through some stuff these past few years. And then you couple that with the stuff that we as humans just are part of our story. Mm -hmm. So a lot of us are figuring out our mental health. That was the second uh, great labor. And then the third is grief. Um, You know, you hear hear it said, you know, death is the great uniter. And it's true, you know, Mm -hmm. there, it doesn't, (laughs) it doesn't um, skip (laughs) any of us. Mm -hmm. And we all at some point have to grieve 
And for that section, you know, we go it, we talk about, you know, physical death of, you know, loved ones and people, but then also the death of a thing, a season, mm-hmm. um, what have you, whatever that is, you know, and, and I really try to uh, normalize the end of things as mm-hmm. also the birth of something else. Yeah. Because yes. that's kind of how it works. Um, and then lastly, thriving while being othered. Um, we mm. all get a seat in that chair for the most part. Um, you know, we can find ourselves being the only woman in the room, mm-hmm. um, to be the only black woman in the wo- room, mm-hmm. the only person of color, the only uh, parent, <laughs> only mm-hmm. mother, mm-hmm. <laughs> only gay person, only, you know, queer, you know, usually we find ourselves where we are the only and how do we thrive in this space that doesn't feel like it's meant for us mm-hmm. and we may not feel welcome or it, we feel all the things and we just want to shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink. How do we thrive in those moments when the world, and I call them in my book, passenger thoughts tell us to become smaller. Mm. How do we thrive in those moments? So um, I really just try to think of the spaces where for the most part, across economic status, race, uh, gender, we all get a space to sit in that, (laughs) in that, whether we like to or not. Right. (laughs) You know, how do we, how do we thrive there? Beautiful. Yeah. I feel like I kind of want to like get into each of them a little bit, but if we start with the relationships, obviously Mm -hmm. Vanessa and I talk a ton about relationships as, you know, forms of initiation and, um, and that they become like the curriculum for our lives. And right before you came on, we were talking about how you have a 17-year-old son. You have all sons? Is that right? Three sons? All boys. All, all boys. There's your other, right? Talk about being othered. <laughs> in your like, home. How did that happen? I don't understand. I'm like, well, that's a conversation in and of itself. But um, <laughs> yeah. And so you have a 17-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 5-year-old, right? So, and you're married and have been married for a long time, yes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Very long. Yeah. So I want to hear more about, like, what are some of the the things that you share in the book about what maybe the the long-term relationship that you've been in has taught you about yourself and about, like, this thing of being Um, alive? (laughs) So I share in the book how, you know, relationships and partnerships can be a great teacher. Mm-hmm. It can also be a mirror. Um, for me, it showed me all the things that I had encountered in my childhood um, and how it oftentimes will touch the relationships that we have in the present. Mm. Um, yeah, like that, it's relationships it's it's interesting because it's it is a mirror it's a teacher it's also to you know i really wanted to dismantle the myths around relationships so mm-hmm. you know i talk a lot about the things that we thought and think often like for example um that you will make me whole mm-hmm. or you make me happy that's right and it's a myth Mm-hmm. It's not true. We make ourselves happy. We make ourselves whole. Everyone else is icing. 
Hmm. They're icing on the cake. Our kids are icing. Our partners are icing. Our friends are icing. We are the cake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, that was one thing. I talked through um, what it looks like to have uh, self intimacy, knowing yourself, mm-hmm. and how. And really, I start off the book with that mm-hmm. because you know I believe that that is the greatest relationship you will ever have. It's the greatest love you will ever have is yourself. Like you are your best partner, you know? And it took me a very long time to really understand that. Self-intimacy, you know, we are our greatest love affair and we Mm -hmm. are our best kind of love. And I, it took me a really long time to figure that out. Um, I was one of those people that for sure looked, I think, externally for that for a while until, you know, you get tired, (laughs) you get tired and you realize the person you've been looking for the whole time is right there in the mirror. Mm -hmm. And so um, we really dive deep at the very beginning into really cultivating that relationship with ourselves first, because everything else is just icing. Everything else is just how we relate to anyone else, whether it's our friends or our, our family or whatever, is just a um, a mirror of how we interact with ourselves. And so, um, yeah, that's that was the first part. <laughs> I'd love to, um, I actually, I wrote down the self-intimacy part because I thought that was really interesting. And I, I, I want to read a little paragraph maybe from your book if I can, because I think that this this is a great... I don't know, pathway to more conversation. So you say under the title, Dismantle to Discover, if we want to thrive within our relationship with ourself and create a place of inner sanctuary, we must dismantle and disarm everything within our programming that prevents us from coming into a sure sense of self. Hmm. I love that. I love this idea of dismantling to discover. Can you talk more about that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we all have these ideas, I think that we pick up in our lives and they stick with us. They stick to Mm -hmm. our bones and we can't, they become like our little, you know, our stuffy and we hold them close. And it's really, really, really important for us to really dissect that. Why is it that I feel that this person is going to make me whole? Why do I feel this job is it adds to my value? Why is it that I feel that um, uh, my children uh, are a, what's the word I want to look for, are a substitute for joy? Mm -hmm. Why is it that I feel that? And, you know, it's hard. It's easier said than done because no one wants to know the answer Mm because the answer sometimes doesn't feel good. But what I've discovered is the more we dig and we dig and we dig, then we find out things and we discover things. And then we get the chance to like pull it apart and tear it down, tear down the things that that doesn't serve us. That isn't actually, that doesn't align with what I really believe anymore Mm -hmm. um, and how I feel about myself anymore. And so dismantle to discover dig, keep digging, keep digging till you hit bedrock. And it's, again, it's easier said than done. Hmm. What I'm curious to ask about is 
how you've navigated that in the context of being in a relationship with another person. Cause what I find comes up so frequently, especially for women, especially around women in their early forties is we go through this period of all of a sudden, exactly what you're speaking to, which is like, I've had a very clear idea of like who I should be to be a good wife, woman, parent, whatever. And all of a sudden, I really don't know if that's my truth or if that's the truth I was fed. And I find that it can feel really difficult to stay in the container of this relationship a lot of times and do that deep excavation that you're talking about. So will you say a little bit more about like how you navigated doing that inside of a relationship? Ooh, I mean, it was a lot of, a lot, a lot, a lot of talking. Mm. Um, and I mean, I was kind of lucky ish kind of sort of where we were both discovering at the mm. same time. Um, my husband at that time was doing some major, major work, uh, on himself. Mm -hmm. And I also was doing some major, major work. So we were kind of lucky, I guess, in the sense of we were both open to how different we are now. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we met when we were 18 years old, oh, 18 and 19. And I mean, I have a kid that's going to be 18 next year. So, mm -hmm. I mean, you can tell I have not been, a, been 18 in a very long time. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you know, to this idea that no one is going to change mm. or shift or be a completely different person than the person you met is absolutely not true. It's, mm. it's, it's, it's egregious. Like it's not, you know, it's not realistic. And, and, and thank heavens we're not, you know, I would not want to be 18 year old Brandy. That would be... <laughs> I'm sorry to anyone who knew me when I was 18. Um, so, you know, it's, it was a lot of communication, a lot of talking, um, a lot of bravery and transparency. Mm -hmm. I think that's a big thing that comes up with a lot of relationships is this fear of rejection and this fear that if I say who I am now, mm -hmm. what I am now, where I am now, then this person won't love me. And again, mm -hmm. it goes back to that relationship with self. How much do you love you? Yes. You know, how much do you want to be the person that you're supposed to be? And then everyone else, again, icing. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it, I think we were, we were lucky in the sense of we were both in a space where we were changing and shifting and um, much needed for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. It's like, uh, the idea of it's so important that both people approach the relationship with curiosity, approach themselves with curiosity. I was just having this conversation with a client before we got on. And I was just saying to her, I'm like, I hate to be this blunt, but if this partner of yours is not willing in any way to, to be introspective, is not willing in any way to own what's theirs or to dig into like why they show up this way. Right. I mean, I basically said, there's not like, this can't go anywhere. There's I no, mean, you'll hit a stalemate. No yeah. There's no hope for yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, and I mean, don't you say the same thing for friends, right? Like it's not just romantic partners. I mean, I think that just in general, like if you're somebody who's like, I'm on this path of growth, if there's somebody in your life who's like, yeah, no, I'm not interested in looking inward, then there's only so far you can go. 
Yeah. There's only so far and there's only so much you can do. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. It's their work to do, Mm -hmm. you know, and I, and I talk about that a lot in the book, you know, our, like I said, we were married really young. So you imagine you have two people whose frontal cortex isn't fully developed (laughs) (laughs) and yet we're getting into contract with each other and marrying Mm -hmm. each other. And we have a child Mm -hmm. frontal cortex still not developed yet. Uh, and you know, we're, we're dealing with that. We're dealing with our trauma that we haven't even deemed as trauma yet. We haven't even looked at it as trauma. Um, and then, you know, that brings up so many issues. It brings up infidelity. It brings up all these things that, you know, I, I call it two children Mm -hmm. and adult bodies Mm -hmm. just bump, like, just like. (laughs) figuring it out and um it took a lot of work it took him doing his work me doing my work and um yeah like you have to have both people who are wanting to figure themselves out and that's the other thing too is not even figuring out the partnership or the relationship or the friendship but themselves Mm -hmm. like why is it that I dot 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 Mm mm-hmm Yeah. I think that's so important because you hear people talk a lot about like, it's not true that you have to love yourself before you can love someone else. And while I think that's fair, also, I think (laughs) what you're saying is really true because what I see so often is in order to maintain attachments, a lot of people have relationships where there's a whole lot of things we could never talk about because Mm -hmm. I need to not say that because you could leave me and you might not love me. And so that's not actually intimacy. That is like two people doing life around each other, but we're not actually like Mm -hmm. safe here with you because I know there's a whole lot of things I can't say. Yes. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's true. But it's brave work. You're absolutely right. Like, and both people, however many people, if it's friendships, like have to be committed to like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm going to say this, but I'm going to stay with myself regardless of the outcome. And that takes a lot of like, that's the self-love piece Mm -hmm. to me. It is. It's a lot of self-love. And it, and I mean, this is something that we talk to our kids about even, you know, I, we have a teenager who is navigating friendships and, mm. you know, we were literally having this conversation last night with him because he was so afraid of his friend who like, you know, they were having like a little like butting of head, butting of heads. And, you know, we were explaining to him, say what you feel. Mm. You know, he was like, but what if he thinks I don't want to be his friend anymore? And I was like, you can't control that. Mm. If you didn't say that, say your truth, say what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. And it was this fear of like, well, what if I'm like, you can't, you can't control that. Mm -mm. You know, it was, it's, it's hard, but it's Mm -hmm. so worth it. Mm -hmm. It's so worth it. Well, and I think we're also doing the work of, um, you know, it's like, how do I say this? It's like our biology has not evolved at the rate at which I feel like our consciousness has evolved, right? Or even like our technology, yeah. for example. And so a yeah. lot of these conversations that we are all having, um, you know, your biology is going against it. Like that's this idea yeah. of like, I need to belong. I need to belong. Like I can't be ostracized from the group, right? I mean, this goes back to yeah. you would literally die if you weren't in tribe and in community. Right. And so sometimes I feel like that, and this is what I talk to with clients all the time where I say, um, you know, doing the uncomfortable thing. And I always say that's so uncomfortable. It makes you feel like you're going to die. 
And I'm not exaggerating when I say that there's a reason why you're so uncomfortable. You feel like you're going to die because it's, it's, it's wiring. Right. And it's like, we're trying to live at this different level of consciousness because, um, that's where we're moving. And that's what, that's what our growth and our evolution as a being, uh, our species is calling us towards, but don't like anybody who's listening, don't think that it's not without (laughs) real struggle, Mm -hmm. you know? Oh yeah. The struggle is real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. real. It's real. Yeah. But I love the term self-intimacy and I'm going to mm-hmm. like, re- I'm going to quote Use you it. on that and refer <laughs> back to it because I think that is the thing that, I don't know, the healing modalities haven't talked about enough from my perspective. It's mm-hmm. so like, get into the space of co-regulation. You need to like be it. And all of those things are true. And if we do not accumulate the tools to self-regulate and stay with myself and understand the waves of emotions that come up, um, then I will always be dependent on that other person to do those things for me. And I will not believe that I'm capable of it. And then, you know, when we're trying to attach, we will control. That's just what we do. That part. And it's like, and what happens then? Mm. You know, because that's the other part of it. Life, life's and humans, human. That's right. Mm-hmm. So it's like humans so kind of human. Mm-hmm. They, they they stay humaning. <laughs> like, I love it. What happens? Like what happens when that child goes off to college? Mm. What happens when that partner who you love makes a mistake or mm-hmm. or actually doesn't say it the way he should have said it or she mm. should have said it? <laughs> they didn't say it the way you wanted them to say it. You know what yep. happens? What happens when the person, the friend disappoints you, then what? Yeah. You know? So hmm. well, I, I think that. this is a good gateway into another part of the book that Danae and I wanted to have you talk to us about. You you kind of alluded to it a little bit, but part of the story that you take us on is the infidelity that happened in the relationship. And yeah. I think Danae and I both, you know, as therapists, especially people who work with couples, um, you know, infidelity is happening. Humans be humaning, as we were just saying. They love humaning. I they love humaning. <laughs> and yet we don't it. we don't talk about it in terms of um getting to the other side, right? Like what it looks like in a relationship when mm. you can learn from and integrate uh the lessons that can come from something like infidelity, you know, and and Danae's mentor and somebody I look up to as Stair Perel talks a lot about infidelity. Um, and, and also just how, you know, maybe culturally we look at it here versus other countries and things like that. But I'm just curious, I guess, if you could take us through the journey for you all, um, you know, what was that like for you? And I guess, what is it like now? Yeah. I mean, it, it was interesting because like I said, we've been together for a very long time. (laughs) We have been together for 22 years. Babies. Um, mm-hmm. Right. That part. <laughs> and, you know, when you're babies, you don't think you're babies. You're mm. like, I am a grown woman. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and you're, it's like, you're 18. Mm. Yep. You're a literal <laughs> toddler. <laughs> you just got out of diapers. Literally. And, <laughs> literally. Yep. Um, oh, and you're in love. Oh, mm. Love that for you. And it's so interesting because now being a parent of a soon to be out the house kid, I realized how ridiculous I sounded when I'm like, <laughs> you just, I just love him. And he's like, I just love her. And I would have spend the rest of my life with her. 
And now I'm like, oh my God, they weren't crazy. They were mm. like, uh, why? Why? You sure? Um, are you sure? Like, you know, you want to maybe give it to like your, again, frontal cortex is fully developed. You want to just maybe give it to then, you know, and I'm like, nah, I'll be fine. Um, we'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. And we did, but it was, it was interesting. You know, we, my husband, uh, had, you know, affair, fairs, and that was a thing. That was a thing. And I found out, um, in such a jarring way mm-hmm. and it rocked me. It rocked me in a way where it pulled literally the floor from underneath me. And it was so reminiscent to the countless of other times in the past, my floor had been ripped from Mm. underneath me. And so it was just devastating. It was devastating in the sense of, but you're my person. Mm. You're my, you're my, you're my safety. You're my person. But that was the first lesson right there Mm. is icing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You are your person. (laughs) You are safe. You create safety for Mm -hmm. yourself. You create environments where you feel safe, right? As opposed to, you are everything. You are my safety. You are my person. You are, you know. And and here's the thing. Even if I had had that, doesn't mean that I would be less disappointed. No, I would still be disappointed. I would still be just as hurt. But I think Mm -hmm. it was one of those things where it felt isolating because no one really talks about it. it felt very alone. And it was interesting because, you know, it happened in such a way that was so like, whoa. And it it was the, a friend of mine calls it, it was a blunt force trauma that mm-hmm. I needed to open up my voice. Mm-hmm. Because there were so many things that when I look back on in the past, and I talk about this in the book where it's like truth shows up when we're ready for her. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we have these things, it's like consciousness that your gut, your gut tells you things and your that inner voice says, this doesn't sound right. This doesn't feel right. This doesn't, but we ignore it because we're afraid, you know, mm-hmm. that anxious attachment. We're afraid of, well, if I say this, then this might happen. And it's like, no. And, you know, as much as that Saturday was devastating, I'm so grateful for that Saturday. Because for me, it was, and for my husband and for our family, it was a catalyst of real healing Mm. Um, and not just healing of ourselves, my wound, child wounds, um, him, child wounds, trauma, trauma for myself, but also I think of um, the healing of our lineage Mm. and those that would come after because mm-hmm. this wasn't new for his family, yes. you know, and he ended up repeating the very thing that he said he would never repeat, you know, from his father. And so, you know, he started doing his own work, you know, therapy and getting down to the nitty gritty psychedelic therapy, getting down to the, you know, nitty gritty of why, why, why is it that, you know, this is this is something that you chose, Mm. you know, I'm not saying I'm Beyonce, 
But I am saying that, <laughs> like, why? <laughs> like, mm. Why? And, you know, he did that work. And then I started doing my own work where it was more so, um, why does this feel familiar? Mm. Why does this betrayal feel familiar? Why does this ripping of the floor feel familiar? Oh, because it, it is kind of familiar. Um, why is this lack or loss of safety feel familiar? Because it is familiar. It it feels the same as, you know, when you were a kid and you didn't feel protected and you didn't feel safe. Um, and so we went on our own separate journeys. <laughs> um, we did not go into save the marriage mode because honestly, I wasn't sure if I wanted to be married to him because I was like, I don't even know who this person is. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I don't know who he is. This is not the person that I know. Mm. And, you know, for, for him, you know, he wasn't sure either. And so we just kind of um, went our separate healing paths. And that's kind of the, was the start of the work that we did. Mm. And then it wasn't until later that we were like, okay, let's maybe do some couples therapy, but not mm. from a place of like, we're going to stay together more. So even just co-parenting, let's just do that. Right. And see what happens. And that's just kind of how we did. And it was a lot of work. Um, it was not a quick fix or an easy fix. There were moments where I was triggered and moments where I, again, that like, I would just voice it. And, um, he had to learn how to show up for me in a different kind of way mm. that he had never before. Um, and now, you know, it's, it's so good. And I use good in the sense of um, it, it was scary at first. Um, but this work that we've done, I know that many people don't do that. And, and it's cause it's so hard. It's hard. And it was never a thing of like, um, I had, we had a, such a village around us. Um, I had a dear friend who's a mentor and also, you know, a therapist and we didn't have people in our ears saying go marriage. We didn't <laughs> have that. <laughs> mm -hmm, we mm -hmm. had people in our ears saying, do what you need, give mm. yourself what you need. Um, you don't have to do this. <laughs> If this is too hard, don't do it. And we like looking back now, we so appreciate that because the choice was ours. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I knew that um, I didn't want to make decisions from the place that I was in. Mm -hmm. And the place that I was in was just utter hurt and anger and grief and all these feelings. So I knew that being in that space and making a decision either way was probably not the, no permanent decisions. I didn't think that was a good idea. Um, and I didn't, I just took it day by day. Um, and that was probably one of the best decisions that I made just taking it day by day and not feeling this pressure to act suddenly and mm -hmm. move and this pressure to that, you know, well, you know, it, of like judgment, because that was the other yeah. thing too. You know, I I like to say that, you know, I'm pretty like clear, like, and I, I think one of the fears that I had was people, mm -hmm. oh, she just going to stand by her man? 
you know, like a stand by your man mm. thing. And yeah. I was like, so afraid of that. Mm. Cause I was like, no, it's not that at all. I don't want that. But then again, day by day, and just giving myself permission to feel whatever it was that I wanted to feel. If I felt like, okay, I'm in a space to decide that I want to leave, I'm leaving. Or if it's a space that, you know what, I think I need, I, we need to take it another day. I need to take it another day. That's what I did. I just took it day by day, mm-hmm. moment by moment, hour by hour. And then, you know, eventually I got to a space where it's like, okay, I think, I think we're all right. I think, mm. I think he's all right. And um, yeah, it was a lot of work. Seeing work, that was a big thing for me. Me seeing mm-hmm. him do his work was a big thing for me. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I don't, yeah, it was, it was a lot. It was a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm proud of us. I'm proud of the work that we've done. I'm also proud of, um, I'm proud of myself that I didn't feel pressure either yeah. way. Mm. And I didn't succumb to pressure either way. So yeah, mm. a lot of gentleness. <laughs> yeah. I just want to thank you for talking about it and writing about it for a couple mm-hmm. of reasons. I think there's something that is so important about, well, so many things that you said, I just felt so struck by, um, but the way that from my perspective, and this, I'm going to circle back to why I'm saying it, but there's a way that we societally are still holding a little bit of, um, I'm just going to say like a childishness when it comes to this person that is going to be like this omnipresent force in my life when we come together and they're not going to human and they're going to like choose me and love me forevermore. And if they Mm -hmm. step outside of that box, I'm done with you. Right. And it's just not real. And I think what you said that like, I, I had a really strong reaction to you, Brandy, was you were talking about some of the generational pain. Mm -hmm. And I think especially for black men. I'm going to say mm. this actually, yes. like what it yes, does yes, yes. to grow up in a society that mm-hmm. views you a certain way yes. and what that does to the psyche mm-hmm. and the ways that we are not really conditioned to have like hold with compassion and see the humanity in the men that we're with. And I know, yes. like, let me be the first to raise my hand yes. on that. Cause I have been there and, um, yeah. I just felt a lot of like, not only for my husband, my, you know, but like for my father and some of what that was that he was struggling with in this society, attempting to navigate trauma and be a good man for his family and not Mm -hmm. having a lot of tools, you know? Mm -hmm. So thank you. I deeply appreciate you speaking to that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I mean, John, you know, who I'm sure at some point will write a book of his own, but like, Mm he didn't even know certain things that he had experienced were trauma. Mm. Didn't even know until he got into certain work that Mm -hmm. he was like, oh my God. And I saw him, I saw him just open up and weep Mm. and just cry. Yeah. Like when it really struck him, like just cry. And just so you know, my husband's a Virgo. He is not a cry. He's <laughs> married to one of those, Brandy. Awesome, I was married Virgo. to one of those, Brandy. God bless you. <laughs> Y'all are, are still together. I love you for that. <laughs> they are a trip, right? Like, <laughs> they are a specific ooh. breed. 
That's very good. It's a very specific brain. It's like that's so real. Oh my god! Like mm. I mean, I, we work out great because I let him Virgo. I'm like, what are you? <laughs> I'm like, so I'm like, but wait, what are you without Virgo? I'm a Leo, which oh, usually okay. wouldn't okay. work, but I think yeah. because we now realize, like, okay, if I let him Virgo and buy all the post-it <laughs> notes that he wants, and mm. all the calendars, and all the things, and highlighters. He makes my life better, actually, mm. and more organized. Like, yeah, he's the one real. who set all of this, like, mic stuff up. <laughs> yeah, that, that's real. He's <laughs> very organized. He's very, or- very strategic. Yeah. And, I mean, I mean, and even, like, past, like, very strategic. And mm. so, you know, for him, like, letting him Virgo peak. And then for me, he's like, let her Leo, because it's going to mm. make us so much better we're mm. gonna be great it's gonna be wonderful it's gonna be fabulous and um so yeah no like seeing him though just crack open when it really hit him that mm-hmm. what he'd experienced was just not a typical day but trauma yes like trauma and how no one talked to him about it he just had to just move on suck it up it's like what do you do Right. What do you do with those feelings? What do you do with those emotions? You know, and it's like, yeah, it's I'm, I'm not saying that it's an excuse for certain behaviors, but I am saying that it helps us to understand That's right. and hold humanity and have empathy and be like, oh, I understand you a little bit better now, mm-hmm. you know, so. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I feel you. <laughs> yeah. 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 Thank you for that. I felt like you were about to say something, Vanessa. I didn't want to jump on them. Nope. Yeah. And I mean, we we talked about it a little bit, but in terms of thriving, I do want to talk about the other piece mm-hmm. because I feel like that's not something that comes up a lot. And what yeah. that does to our sense of self and how we feel about ourselves as we move through the world. And I think you did such a beautiful job of speaking to in the beginning, all of the other ways that, or excuse me, all of the ways that that can show up. Mm-hmm. But um, will you say more about like thriving in these spaces of feeling other? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I knew that when I wrote this book, I wanted to include that because it's such a huge part of my story. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in the South. Um in the 80s. And I was, you know, rolled really deep with my cousins. Like we were a whole gang, right? (laughs) Um, And, you know, they were all like lighter skin. Mm -hmm. I was dark, a lot like my father. And, you know, I remember like certain instances. I remember things that were so clear that I looked different than Mm -hmm. them you know and then if you know i i talk about this in the book but you know if you looked on tv back then all the love interests were all lighter skinned Mm -hmm. black women you know even if you look at um coming to america which is by far one of my favorite favorite films it's so good i could quote it from beginning to end (laughs) but Lisa McDowell was the love interest. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And her sister, who was my complexion, was like mm. this like eh. she's like, she'll, you know, mm. she just takes whoever she can get. And I remember registering that even as a mm-hmm. kid, like, huh, interesting. Mm. And so it started there, just like feeling like other. And then I went to 
you know, in Connecticut, I was like the only black kid in my school, like other than this other black girl. And I remember feeling othered. It's like, oh, I look different than them. And then when I, we moved to the South and I had my gang of cousins, oh, I look different still. Oh my gosh. <laughs> can we just like, can we do anything about this? Um, and it just, you know, it, it really set me on a path of, you know, I really want to talk about that because it affects us in a way that, you know, we feel like we don't belong. Mm. And as humans, we want to belong to your point, you know, we want to belong to somewhere, something. And um, how do we thrive in that? Do we, you know, oftentimes we survive it and we shrink and we make ourselves smaller and we make ourselves, you know, less threatening or we make ourselves, you know, all the things so we can be palatable as opposed to showing up as is. You know, I talk about how I did this, um, I was part of this meditation with Koya Webb and mm. she asked the question. It was so, it was so like simple, but also like, oh my God. Mm. She said, how do you want to show up? Mm. And I had never heard that question asked. And it was a, a, a sea of us black women. We were doing it virtually because it was during the pandemic, but we were all, she said, how do you want to show up in the world? And for me, it really hit me. It struck me in such a way that was like, no one's ever asked me that. Mm. No one's ever asked me, how do I want to show up? Mm-hmm. How do I need to show up? I can ask, mm-hmm. I can answer you that. How do I, how are people expecting me to show up? I know that answer as soon as I enter a room. Um, it's like the the spidey sense that many of us who are other feel. Um, but how do I want to show up? That was something that really stuck with me. And it was one of the things that was the kind of like the catalyst of moving forward, asking myself, that's how I thrive in this skin of mine, in this womanhood of mine, in this motherhood of mine, all the hats that I wear. Mm-hmm. How do I want to show up in a space? Because I get a say. Mm-hmm. I get a say. You know, mm-hmm. I get to choose how I want to show up. And mm-hmm. my people in that space are my people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and whoever's not feeling that, Maybe they're not my people. They may not be my people. That's cool. Whatever. <laughs> um, it happens. Yeah. And so that for me was, um, that was something that I really, really wanted to write about because I know that there are so many people that feel that burden, feel that that need to do through, like, go through, like, a sense of acrobatics and contortionist <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> like transforming just to be accepted and to belong. And so I really wanted to get across in that section of the book that part of thriving is to unbend ourselves mm-hmm. and start to, you know, be okay with all of this, mm-hmm. all of it. So. I just felt so struck by um, is that we will find a way to other ourselves and one another. And Mm -hmm. the reason I felt struck by this was that I grew up as the only black kid in Mm -hmm. predominantly white environment. Mm -hmm. And I had never experienced what you're talking about in terms of skin color um, until I moved to New York. And all of a sudden, everyone Mm -hmm. was talking about like the different shade. Now, if you're the only black girl, it's like, you're just the black girl. Nobody cares about the (laughs) shade of black you are. Right. (laughs) But all of a sudden it was like, 
there was like ranking based on mm. like yeah. whatever, right? But like yeah. it's fascinating. It like it circles back to what you're saying about like the self intimacy work is always, I believe, what we came here for, right? Like I was yes. leading a class this morning where it was like the Stoic philosophers were talking about what you're talking about, right? Like yeah. how do we like find a self of belonging within ourselves so that we can show up in the world in all these ways? Like this has been the human experience forever, ever, forever. Right? Yeah. And yeah. it's, there's all these ways that we like identify, but it's like, but the work is like, sorry, you got, I just felt so struck by, I'm like, we've always done this. We find we've a way. Always, always. We've always wanted to belong. Yeah. It's like, I'm sure if we were to look in caves, we'd see drawings, <laughs> <laughs> like a group of like stick figures here. And then like a group, one stick figure over here, like, yeah. Just yeah. them by themselves. Yep. <laughs> totally. Like, I yeah. want to come in, please. Thanks. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. self-intimacy. I love it so much. Um, Brandy, I feel like we could keep going, but we want to be mindful of time. So we're going to get into our lightning round of questions. Okay. Um, cool. The first question that we always ask is, who have been your greatest teachers, mentors, people who have impacted your journey up to this point, whether you've known them or just appreciate their work? Mm. Okay. So people that have impacted my journey, Toni Morrison, mm -hmm. I've never met her, but that <laughs> would have been amazing. Yeah. Um, my grandmother, mm -hmm. my grandmother, she, I, I, I talk about her a bit in the book where she showed me what home feels like and what safety feels like. And even when I see her now, uh, I always immediately feel safe with her mm. immediately. Mm. Um, I would say, who else? A dear, dear friend and mentor, Angela Williams, I acknowledge her in the acknowledgments. Um, she has been there for me in grief. Mm -hmm. um, and anytime I've ever needed her, you know, she's that person that is the life doula for me. Mm. And um She's just everything. She's everything. Um, greatest teacher. Also, too, I mean, my children, mm. you know, they teach me so much. They teach me how to have fun. Mm. They teach me that I'm doing a good, like a really good job <laughs> because they're so much cooler than their father and I. <laughs> they're so cool like I they're so cool you. and they're so sweet um and they're just great humans they're mm -hmm. great they're so great um even jupiter who is a walking tornado um, <laughs> he's so great <laughs> and he's so funny like mm -hmm. they make me laugh they make me laugh i forgot what he said this morning he said oh he said mommy i heard someone say a bad word i said what is it what did they say Holy fish crap. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> and it was so funny to me. I was just like, holy fish crap. I was like, I'm going to start saying that. That is a really <laughs> intense word. Holy fish crap. Intent. I love it. Like, I don't know oh, what that even means. Holy fish crap. Um, but yeah, my children, my partner, and uh, yeah. Yeah, they've they've all kept me on the path, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, made me better. 
I thought I thought of Toni Morrison quite a lot when I was rewriting this book, you know, mm-hmm. she was a mother and she had kids and she was writing and, and editing and doing mm-hmm. all these things. And, you know, it reminded me a little bit of how I sometimes feel like I'm pulled in a lot of different directions. And somehow she just kind of did it. But mm-hmm. I felt like she was like guiding me the whole mm-hmm. time. Like I, you know, she was a night uh, early morning writer and I am too. And uh, yeah, yeah. Beautiful. So this idea of, you know, flow, like this this moment where you can be so aligned, uh, get lost in something that the entire day could just go by. What What is flow for you? Like, what are you doing when you find those moments? Mm. I'm slowing down mm-hmm. because I am a bit like a... Uh, like I just go, like I can go, like that is my, it's my survival mm-hmm. thing and also my thriving thing. Like I just go with it, but mm-hmm. also like it's, it's definitely rooted in survival and trauma. And so whenever I find myself just like going and just like, you know, I tell myself, slow down. Mm-hmm. I physically, I literally say it out loud, slow down. I said it this morning, actually. Now that I think about it, I said, slow down. Mm-hmm. And I did. I must have channeled this like mama voice because I said mm-hmm. it loud to myself, like, <laughs> sit down, <laughs> slow down, <laughs> slow your ass down. <laughs> and I did. And it, it just, that's what flow feels like to me when I slow down, that I don't have to rush, that I can only do one thing at once, mm-hmm. one thing at a time. Like, just, that's all I can do. I'm yeah. not a cyborg. I'm human. One thing at a time. One thing at a time. Yeah. And Brandy, what breaks your heart? Mm. So much breaks my heart Mm. that sometimes I have to, I have to, I think that's why I always, I kind of have to find the joy Mm. because my little heart can just like, oh, Mm -hmm. my tender little heart. Um, when I see my kids get out of the car to school, it breaks my heart (laughs) because they're so little and I know they won't be that way forever. And like, even this morning when I saw Jupiter get out of the car in his back with his backpack on. And he's such a little peanut. <laughs> such a little peanut. Just like the backpacks are bigger than them. <laughs> They're so much bigger. <laughs> it just like broke my heart, like open, like, oh, mm. like here it goes. Oh. Here it goes. Like we are almost there. Like before I know it, he's going to be out of the house. Mm. And I know it's a while from now, but it breaks my heart that this here we go here we are like Mm -hmm. they they grow they grow Mm -hmm. up that breaks my heart because I yeah and that's I know that's bad I know I I want them to grow up but it breaks my heart that it goes so fast yeah it goes so fast I need you to stop (laughs) I'm sorry (laughs) 
Um, and I can't control it. I can't, I, I can't control it. Like I can't, like, I can't like pause it. I can't say yeah. pause. Okay. This moment's sweet. All right. Go back. Like, and start yeah. the remote. I can't do that. Like I have to like be present with them because it's going to go. It's going to go and it's going to like start and they're going to be peace out at some point. So that breaks my heart. It really, really does. And it doesn't mm. help when they're so small and cute. It doesn't help. <laughs> Can I tell you, if I let myself sit and think about what you're saying, I would just like weep right now. <laughs> it's, it's heartbreaking. So real. It it's really heartbreaking. is. Heartbreaking. <laughs> it's so it's, hard. I, And I wanted to pick something else, but... That's what breaks my heart. It does. Like, I mean, there's a lot of things out there I could name, but that one, because I see it every day, like it's right in front of me every day. Like, it's like every day just breaking my heart, like mint condition. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll bring it, we'll bring it back for this one and ask you, what is your, (laughs) what is your favorite food? Oh, I have a lot of favorite foods. Um, I love food so much. I love food so much. It's so good. Um, mm. Okay. A few things, but I'll say this one and I only say it because I miss it. Um, Baked macaroni and cheese. And I mean like the baked kind. The baked, not And she's from the South. So. That's what I'm. Yes. Listen. Do you know that you're the yeah. only other person on the show? I think ever that's ever that's mine, and no one has ever said that. And I'm like waiting for somebody to say it. I don't know what they're missing. They don't know that's what, missing. what it is. Baked macaroni and cheese, not the stovetop. Mm-hmm. The baked, bubbly like breadcrumbs yes. on top. Yes. Yeah. You yeah. have to use a spatula to yeah. get it out. And it's a block yes. of baked macaroni and cheese. That's what I miss. And I miss it because I'm vegan. I'm plant-based. And I have yet <laughs> to find one nope. that equals that. Nope. And I don't think I ever will. Mm-hmm. I don't think I ever will. It is what it is. I'm not going to find it. I don't even try to make it. And I usually can make most things vegan. Like I can make meatloaf. I can make... I can make lasagna. I can make anything vegan and it'd be like, okay, that's it's really that good. <laughs> yeah. That thing is thinging. It's doing its thing. But I cannot, I have not figured out baked macaroni and cheese. And so I grieve. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel grieve that. for for baked macaroni and cheese. I grieve it. Like every yeah. holiday, I grieve it. Every <laughs> Sunday, I grieve it. Because I know I'll never because there's certain things you have to use. Like my mom yeah. used to do the like block of Velveeta about, yeah. and then you like <laughs> melt it down and then you put it in the noodles Stick and you of add butter. Mm-hmm. Oh, a lot of butter. You add mm-hmm. it in there and then you bake it and you add the sprinkle cheese too. And it's just this yeah. amazingness. And I'm just, I'm not going to ever, I don't think I'll ever have it the way that was. And so I just have to grieve and just imagine. I just made macaroni and cheese for my kids' feast like today at their little daycare because oh. that was what she asked to make vegan mac because, you know, there are some kids like yeah. my kid doesn't eat meat and stuff. And so yeah. I made it and my brother who's staying with me right now, bless his heart, 29-year-old, he comes in, he goes, oh, he goes, that's that mac and cheese that you make. He goes, I had that there. That tastes like garbage. And I was like, it's vegan. I mean, Shut up. 
it's and it's I just vegan. had to die because it's true. Like that is the it's one true. food it's, that I feel like even when make. it's done really well, it's still it's not good. the same. Yeah. It's not the same. It's not good. Same. Like it's yep. edible. It's delicious yep. even, but it's, it's not, just not the same. It ain't what, what that was. It's <laughs> not. And so I don't even try it anymore. Like I just like even for this upcoming holiday, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna make my you know cornbread, you know, dressing, which I can make vegan, and it, that yep. thing does well. Don't I can make it. my collard greens, I can make my sweet potatoes, I can make my pumpkin pie, I can make you know all the things, my cranberry sauce, all the stuff. I even get the vegan turkey. We're good, but that I can't replicate, and so I don't even try it. I just grieve and just <laughs> I'm just sad. <laughs> I'd be very curious if you had it in front of you, if you would, if it would taste the same and you enjoy it. Because, you know, your taste buds change when I you've been vegan for a while. That. Your stomach, like, it curdles. You're like, oh, I kind of, this is making me my, sick a little bit. So I'm just going to put that in so you don't have to grieve as hard. My <laughs> mouth would probably be happy. My stomach would not. Stomach my would stomach not. would yes. be like. Well, we're not talking about our stomachs like right now. We're later. talking about our <laughs> mouths. trying to make it easy. See, I just love a reframe. I'm just kind of... right. My yeah. stomach would be like, "Girl, what have come you? On. What are we? Doing? What are you thinking? Right? Oh what are God. you thinking?" But the, <laughs> my my mouth would be happy for like 0.2 seconds. It'd be like, oh "Yes." It's also the so nostalgia good. of it, you know. Like, there's just certain yes. foods when I was a kid where I'm like, "Oh, I dream about it." Like, Count Chocula yes. was always my favorite, and I yes. had it the other day during Halloween, and I was like, "This actually tastes really gross and like chemicals," but in my mind, it's like <laughs> yeah. the most amazing thing ever. You know? <laughs> no, it's true. It's kind of like when I uh, I tried uh, like this like strawberries and cream Quaker oats years oh. ago. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, was like, I, I remember was those. College. I was in college, actually. No, I was in my early 20s. And I remember, like, trying it after a while of not having it and being like, so this is a lot of sugar <laughs> with sugar <laughs> and then a little bit of oats. <laughs> That's what this is. Got it. Cool, yep. cool, cool. Yep. So, yeah. I'm just going to well, grieve. It's fine. We'll stay in our memories. Fine. I know. Show the book again because I think it's really pretty. <laughs> I feel oh. like everyone should Yay. see your beautiful cover. Oh, <laughs> but just yeah. such a gift to have you on Brandy. Congratulations on this Thank book. You. And I feel like, you know, the things that you speak to are such important touch points. And so thank you for writing it. Thank you for, you know, diving into your gifts in that way. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. I'm excited for everyone to read it. I think it's going to hopefully it'll help some people support mm. some folks. We'll put a link to it in the show notes for everybody that's listening right now. So it's called On Thriving and it comes out in January. Yay. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us more, find us on Instagram at Cheaper Than Therapy, the podcast. mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. 
Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.